So we are back to our Gospel of John series. Since we took a break of three weeks doing our recapturing Crossway Vision, um, I think a quick recap would be helpful. Uh, we're in chapter 5. Chapter 5 is a critical chapter. And once again, the entire uh, Gospel is, could be divided into four main ways. Verse 1 through 18 of first chapter is prologue. What the uh, rest of the gospel would be. Uh, it's, it's like the overture of any kind of opera or music that like previews the, what's coming up. And the, at the very end is epilogue of chapter 21. The restoration of the disciples, especially Peter. Uh, by asking him, do you love me three times, and after the resurrection. But in between, the main body is basically two aspects of it. The first 12 chapter is a Jesus' public ministry to the Jews, to Israel, his chosen nation, chosen people. And chapter 13 through 20, it's basically about a one last week of the Passion Week. And he uh, brings down the public ministry to primarily to reveal uh, what's coming up and farewell discourse and other things there. Today's chapter is a critical juncture because the past four chapters of gospel is about early ministry of Jesus. And starting today, chapter 5, Jesus uh, brings up uh, a little bit of intentional discourse. And these discourses, his intentional teaching and revelation about who he is is triggered by conflict. And the, the conflict begins with today's event. So in that over picture, uh, let's look at four preliminary observations of today's miracle, healing at the pool. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the beginning point of increasing conflict and opposition from the religious Jews. Because it basically took place, the healing place, on the day of Sabbath. Um, the false religion reacts to that in a ridiculous way. So we'll find out more about that. And secondly, it is a miss, it's missing verse 4. Even if you look at your own Bible, probably most of you guys have an English Standard Version. Or even NIV will be missing this. Instead, the verse jumped to 3 to 5, and there's a little footnote. And the footnote typically says this. Some manuscripts insert, wholly or in part, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down, at certain set seasons into the pool and stirred 
the water, whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So this is really interesting. Not only interesting, very helpful. Without this information, verse 7, him complaining about no one is there to help him to get into the pool when that happens, that just doesn't make sense. And now we know. Obviously, this is a legend. Maybe a superstition in some sense also too. But one of, one of the commentators make this point. The modern day people was looking at it is to believe such a thing is kind of out of mind thing. But another commentator brings a very important point. Of course, this could be um, some kind of a, you know, things that, that could happen only antiquity, not in modern scientific age. But as you read the story already, this man was paralyzed for 38 years. Among 38 years, good number of years, he was hanging around there. If nothing was happening, even if it's some kind of a maybe self-fulfilling prophecy or some, some kind of a the, uh, the natural waters could affect on the person or psychosomatic changes happen or the real miracle of healing happened, something must happen. Otherwise, he will not stick around. Not to mention multitude of people, hundreds of people sticking around, around that pool. Number three observation is it is an unlikely miracle healing story. And this is one of the uh, sad aspect of modern day miracle healer, faith healers. Come to our crusade and you will be healed. But God has given me anointing of healing. And some people do not get healed. What do they say typically? It's because you don't have faith. You didn't trust enough. Here is a story. This person is the worst case of all. He doesn't have an intention. He ends up, after the even healing, it seems like he still didn't come out to believe in Jesus. Had no idea. Unlike some other uh, people, namely chapter 9 of John's Gospel, blind men, naturally blind men, born as a blind person, living 40 years like that, he was healed at the command of Jesus' word. And he was testifying, he was boldly claiming, I don't know, the accusation of the religious leaders, Pharisees were there, and he said, all I know is I was blind, now I see. Praise the Lord. But this man is actually not the case. The big question is, what's going on? What made Jesus do it? 
Why did he do it? And fourth and lastly, this is another incident. Gospel, the writer of John, Gospel of John has chosen to reveal who Jesus is. In other words, other four gospel, other three other gospels, synoptic gospel, same approach, biographical approach of Jesus. They have the the stories are very similar to each other, and then lingered around much of their stories in Jesus' hometown and Galilee and Judea. But chapter five on, the most of stories happen around Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem meant intensified in conflict, mainly because the religious Jews and Pharisees especially, they were against anything Jesus is doing. And Jesus, knowing what they will do, sovereignly have chosen to do things not because he, has, he doesn't have any choice, not because he forgot that it is Sunday, I'm sorry, the Sabbath day. He did met so many healings on, on the Sabbath, which triggered the issue. And then the accusation brought his teaching, deliberate revelation of these discourses, mainly about his identity, his relationship with God the Father which was not only the breaking of the law that they have created, and then, but also it's a blasphemy that happened. So in that regard, this passage is so important because there are so many stories that, have, have, that are, are there. John deliberately have chosen to reveal who Jesus is, which is the purpose of this gospel, John 21, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So let's ask this question. As you're reading, as we heard the scripture reading, and John 5, verse 1 through 18. As we are going over that passage again, the question we're asking is, what does this story of miraculous healing reveal about Jesus? Here's the first one. It reveals Jesus knows everything about us. Let's start with the verse 1 again. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate pool, a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. This is kind of strange way of calling, very politically incorrect word. They called it 
almost like it's not correct to call anybody handicapped anymore. So they called anybody who had a physical deformity, any, any problems, they call it invalid. That's the word. Um, and he was for, uh, invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, nobody told him. Like the Samaritan woman at the well Jesus encountered, and Jesus told her that she had five husbands, and the man who's, with whom she's living right now is really not her husband. And that he began, began to reveal the things about her her. Thirst, spiritual thirst, inner thirst, using the symbolic words of physical thirst and the water. And even at this point, Jesus saw this man lying there, and he knew everything about him. It's not because he had an information about him, profile on him. It really brings divinity of Jesus. He knew everything about him inside out. He knew the condition of his physical paralysis, but he also knew the paralysis of his heart. And psalmist said, how wonderful it is that you would think of me, that you know me from the time when I was putting, put together in my mother's womb. God, the Son, knows each one of us. I think this is rather subtle point, but important point to change the way we approach prayer, to change the way that we live Christian life. Rather than thinking of some kind of rules and do's and don'ts, and then I need to measure up to that. Or there is a person who has a carol stick and a, a rod to discipline us. So I, every time when I do things right, and Jesus will give me a carrot, or you know, in a way that's you know candy or whatever I, we like, or when we do something wrong, he will discipline us. Not in that distance way. But what if we begin to approach Jesus in our prayer? What kind of wondrous gate will be open? That he knows everything about. My pain, my struggle, my doubts, 
everything that I go through. Oh, the things that I feel most frustrated about myself. I decide to do it. I can't do it. I promised my wife to, do, to be a certain way. I am not. And it might not be physical paralysis, but paralysis that we have, the addictions we have. Jesus knows everything about us. With the next point, will make us feel more comfortable and more rest assured. Because when you think about somebody knows everything about you, oh, that's scary, right? I want to put a really good front. When I perform well, I, I think that people will see the good side. But what if my ugly side and everybody knows? That's a scary thing. But that's the second thing that Jesus reveals. This story reveals about Jesus. <clears throat> Number two, Revelation is, it reveals that Jesus is compassionate to the helpless and the hopeless. Verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the, when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another steps down before me. Notice the question of Jesus Notice the nature of Jesus' question. Somewhat strange question. He knows everything about him. And visually, it is so obvious. This man is pathetic. Really, really, really sad just looking at him. And yet, he asks this question. Do you want to be healed? Just think for a moment. Jesus is not stupid. So this isn't a stupid question. And Jesus knows everything about him. So who is this question for? It's actually more for the paralytic. And why is it necessary then? And Jesus is revealing the real issue inside of him as well. And this is a common problem. I, I'm not going to psychological, psychologizing this overall too much. But the truth is, sometimes when you think about the way we deal with our sin is that do I really want to be free from this sin? 
Saint Augustine, who used to have a, I mean, in modern days, uh, words, he had really had a sex addiction. She slept around and couldn't control his lust. And he would pray, "Give me chastity." In other words, clean, pure, sexually pure life. Give me chastity, but not right now. (laughs) I think Jesus is asking that question to each one of us. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to stop doing the things that you hate, but you keep on doing? Do you want to be delivered from that trap that you feel like you're just stuck in there? And I think if we're being honest, truly honest, we're not not that much different from this guy. He doesn't say, yes, I want to be healed. He gives an excuse. It's very indirect, passive way. Of course I want to be healed, but I have so many problems. I can't move fast. I cannot be first person in the pool because so many people are ahead of me and there's no one to help me. And I am, look, I'm paralyzed. I can't move. I don't know about you. If I were Jesus, get your life together. And if you really want, come back to me. Bye-bye. Jesus, at that pathetic word, his compassion was kindled. This Greek word, compassion, has a lot to do the physical pain of vow, twisting of his... his, He feels this pain from the bottom of his, his intestine. And this is the mercy and good news that everyone, except any kind, except no no people whatsoever, whatever the situation you might be, including the people say, "I don't think I have a zero. I don't think I have any faith." As soon as we declare our helplessness, hopelessness. Jesus has so much compassion. That's exactly why he healed him. Period. He didn't have any kind of merit that others lacked. Actually, he was worse than before. Worse than other compared to other people who get ill. At least other people, after the healing, they were just joyful and grateful and thanking Jesus. And later on, we'll find out his action is kind of shady. He turns Jesus in. (coughs) So Jesus knows about everything about us. But now, do you see Jesus' compassion? 
not only for this paralytic, but for you. That he's not turning his face away when you hate yourself the most. He's leaning over even more closely. Number three, what does this story reveal about Jesus? It reveals that Jesus has the power to heal instantly as the Son of God. Verse 8 and 9, I think we need to pay attention. Sometimes Jesus used mud to apply and tell people to do something. In this case, just the words. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed. At once. Not after rehabilitation and going through this therapy. Immediately, 38 years of paralysis gone. He would start walking. And he took up his bed and, and walked. And verse 10, I went towards the end of verse 9, turns the story again. Now that day was the Sabbath. Conflict begins already. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They, said to, they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it, it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there were crowd in that place. Let's dwell on Jesus' command a little bit. He just didn't say be healed and walked away. He, he was precise in his healing command words. Get up, take up the bed, and walk. Those three commands were not only clear, but it was prescribed for his condition. Get up, take an action that you are healed, and take up your bed. Why are you taking up the bed? Uh, G.K. Morgan will say, G.K. Morgan Campbell will say, to leave no room for relapse. Don't leave it there. You're going to come back as if you need it. Take up your bed, your mat, basically. And walk. 
Don't stand around. It was complete healing, instantaneous healing. I think the question that we should ask is, um, that is wonderfully, shockingly miraculous. Yes. But the turn of event because of religious Jews' response is as shocking as the miracle is healing. Can you imagine in your own town, you've seen him day after day for 38 years. He's maybe begging for food or coins or something in the street on his bed, on his mat, and you've seen him. And all of a sudden, he is walking. I mean, it doesn't have to be a really compassionate, like I, I feel empathy with you, and I, I've, I'm going to share empathically for you. Oh, I'm glad for you. I'm happy for you. No, the natural response will be, whoa, what happened to you? It's, you're walking. That should be my natural response. But look at this. What's going on? The callous to heart. Their response was, who told you to walk? It's Sabbath day. Why are you doing work? Take, why are you taking, carrying your bag? That's work. By the way, Old Testament never specifies this law at all. It's a daily work for your labor, natural work. To not do it, to rest, to give God thanks, to, to trust and show your trust that while you're sleeping, while you are doing not working, God is continually providing for you. Trust that as a sign of God's people. But what happened was that the, these rabbis get together and men made book. And the book is basically how to not to break Sabbath law. Original intent, God, is how to enjoy life because of Sabbath. And sadly, the paralytic who was healed, he was busy protecting himself. I really didn't know. But someone told me to get up and take up the bed and walk. And I thought all I did. And the question that they're asking, who is this man who said to you? Is actually the main theme of Gospel of John. Who is this Jesus? You know, uh, typical non-Christian friends we might have or even cynics. They, they're kind of uh, open to church going, but it, I'm not sure really I want to believe everything. The typical opinion about Jesus is, yeah, Jesus was really one of the world teachers, highly moral teacher. And C.S. Lewis is right. Can Jesus be moral teacher who claim to be God, he doesn't leave that alternative to us. The only two 
fork road that he gave us, if he was not a God, and he claimed to be God, and if he didn't know he's a lunatic, many crazy men, men in the mental hospital, you see, or if he knew that he was not God and claimed to be God, he's the worst con man of all, the devil in the, the darkest places. He cannot be highly moral teacher and yet claim to be God. Here is John's intensity bringing up when Jesus is teaching and re- revealing at the re- response of these conflicts, incredible words come out. The coming next two messages, the following thing is his reason for what he was doing. And that becomes like a gasoline on the fire. And this happened in Jerusalem. We have a choice too. And some of you are still like to be in the kind of, oh, I want to believe it. I'm not sure I could be really in. And Jesus didn't leave us that choice. We need to either spit at him and call him liar or crazy man or kneel down before God, before Jesus, and say, my Lord and my Savior, my Master, my God. And I think this is a deliberate, because it makes me even think about what John's approach is revealed here is this. In the beginning of chapter 1, um, when when uh, John was doing the prologue, in the beginning was Word, meaning Jesus, and the Word was with God, and Word was God, and nothing has been created apart from Him. In other words, at the words of Jesus, the very Word expression of God, the Trinity, which represents Jesus' word as a creator, everything come to, to be in place from nothing. And in this story, Jesus plainly speaks, these words are not human words, the words of God the creator. The type of healing was an instantaneous healing. And towards this story turning into the conflict, the question is, if Jesus was God, he knew everything, why? Jesus didn't make a mistake. This was a deliberate stepping into the conflict himself. And John Piper explains very poignantly, very clearly. Piper writes, Jesus knows what he has done. He healed a man on the Sabbath and told him to carry his bed as a sign and celebration that he is whole. He knows this will create conflict. Conflict in the ministry of Jesus 
is a furnace where the steel of his identity, identity is forged. In the fires of conflict, his glory is made to shine. And we know this because in verse 14, it was Jesus who found the man and not the man who found Jesus. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus had no intention of walking away from this man and leaving him with nothing more than a healed body. That leaves us, leads us to point number four. The fourth revelation that we see in this story is that Jesus' ultimate purpose for all healing is for holiness. Verse 14, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told Jews, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, But Jesus entered, answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus slipped away as soon as he healed him. The question is why? So think about this. It's not just a couple of people sitting around the pool. Multitude. I, I don't know, maybe, you know, that some commenters will say hundreds of people, including their caregivers, waiting for something to happen to the pool. If Jesus healed and that story leaks, just imagine how many people, all of them will come after him. Oh, this is an important point that I'd like to share. Because I struggle with messianic complex that I have to please everyone. I have to save everyone. I have to answer every counseling needs and all that. Even past week, I was just really bombarded with. But even more guilt because I, I'm not as helpful as I could be. This came to my thought. Jesus the Messiah didn't have a messianic complex. Did you hear me? Jesus, the Messiah, didn't have a messianic complex. The multitude of sick people, he was walking away, just healing after one person. The question is, why? At one word, everybody could be healed. But that's not the real purpose of Jesus' healing. Jesus' pur purpose of healing is holiness. Holiness is meaning People fell away from fellowship with God because of sin. The restoration of that person, the full, whole person, is that person is free from sin by forgiveness, by walking righteously by the Holy Spirit. 
So I think we need to be very careful. To think about blessing. And even in our church. I think the, even the time that this year we had so many cancers, so many urgent prayer requests going on. And then 2011 that was happening. I'm not going to say who, but one of the church members half jokingly said, maybe this is church of the cursed. Because we're going through so much pain, so much difficulty, so much cancer. That's a man-centered way of thinking. But when you think about Jesus, it's kind of really upside-down, clear picture of who is blessed. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who weep, mourn, blessed are who are those Thirsty, not filled. Why? So whatever that helps us to turn back to God and get full restoration spiritually and deal with our sins and with holiness restored again, that is true blessing. Having said that, I want to be very careful because in, in today's world, um, there's so many polarization happen. All those uh, working with the poor, people, you know, homeless people, or the people who are hurting and you know, depressed people, all those people. Yeah, of course, let some liberals do it. We're all about preaching the word and getting saved, the soul saved. That Jesus would not have done this. It's actually Jesus... For to Jesus and to us, it should be the same. The two are not separate. The holistic needs of men and the spiritual needs of person, a man, is actually one. That salvation is, in through the Gospels and through the Book of Acts, holistic salvation. So let's Avoid this mistake as a church. That as if we're more relevant people, if we're just going around doing a lot of community development outreach and poor, and making the neighbor safer and did different things, as if that's the end of it. Or ignore all that and we're just going after the people who are lost and who could come to church and be saved and all that. Actually, if we are losing one of the other, and it will be the half mission of Jesus. Jesus intentionally sought after the man who was physically healed. Because true love, full love, is for him to do away with his sin. And he said, stop sinning, sin no more. Otherwise, worse thing will happen. And at this point, the commentaries are divided in many different ways. I mean, two, two major differences. Oh, he had a special sin that, he, that caused his paralysis. paralysis. And some, some person said, look at chapter 9, the blind man, and the people are accusing him and saying, basically, is that because of his sin or his father's sin? Jesus says, no one's sin. 
Even Job's cases, you cannot blame persons to uh, some kind of tragedy that happened to the person due to sin. But at the same time, other passages, if we sin continually, the God will take our physical life in order to keep us safe. Things like that happen. And even the cases that are there. But one thing is very clear. Instead of focusing on these two things, we need to be clear about what is Jesus saying? Is it something worse will happen? Something worse is not a worse disease. What's worse than paralysis for 38 years? The worst thing that can happen to him and you and me the life without Jesus will be eternal damnation. Eternal judgment in hell. That's something worse. Jesus taught us in Lord's Prayer, forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debt- debtors. So which means sin no more is live a perfect. If once you cannot, lest you you go, you go to go to hell. I think it's a sense of lifestyle change, and deliberate turning away from your way to God's way. How about you? Do you know you're going to go back to the same sin? Sin X, Y, and Z, whatever that is, you know. Or have you resolved? Do you have a resolve? Sin no more. I think the picture is of progressive sanctification, pathway to become more like Christ. Of course, we have our own brokenness, that He's chipping away our brokenness. But we continually surrender to Christ. And next week, Pastor Einstein will be preaching on the continuing story of that, and it reveals intensity of his teaching furthermore. And I'm looking forward to us struggling with these passages. Now, uh, the Gospel of John will challenge us, each one of us, very profoundly. And may God open our eyes to see who Jesus really is. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this story and some difficult things that has been revealed to us. But we are so grateful that you are so compassionate to us.
Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. What needless pain we bear only because we take them. We don't take them to Jesus. Lord Jesus, would you prompt us to have a conversation with you in a real way because you know everything about us because you have so much compassion and you do have a power to take away any problem, any sin, any, any, any kind of uh, informalities and addiction we might have. But in your own wisdom, you lead them for us to be trained and for us to be pruned. Help us to fix ours on you, not our own problems. And for our church, Lord Jesus, you are the head of this church and the shepherd. And teach us not to look into our own problems in such a way that we become paralyzed. Help us to trust you and act upon it by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.